0: cinema sins has a fan club it's called the sin club and members get all sorts of things like early episodes bonus videos merch discounts and even monthly bonus podcasts membership starts at three dollars a month and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash cinema no
1: i just said oh it ages me a little so maybe i shouldn't count it
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah this is your first film let's forget about it uh-huh. uh <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Alright, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jonathan Waggins. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. It is director April Mullen, who has uh, uh, directed a movie called Wander. Uh, coming out on demand and digital December 4th. April, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you so much. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You, uh, you did this movie with a frequent collaborator, Tim Doran. W- what was the inspiration for this project?
1: We started, believe it or not, five years ago. When we finished our last feature and it came out, we were brainstorming, you know, as we normally do. Like, what are we going to do next? What do we want to do next? What is in our consciousness right now? What is our truth? And um, Tim Doran at the time, writer, has was going through sort of bouts of parano- you know, paranoia and anxiety and um, mental health issues. Um, and he had these little signs all over his apartment, you know, I am protected, I am powerful. And there was something really vulnerable, but also very truthful. And we thought, wouldn't it be incredible to sort of be able to bridge that gap and bring that truth to light and sort of have a main character, like a lead character, just... You know, going through something like that, and he's always been obsessed with conspiracy theories and sort of that world, and and how dark that can become. And if you become obsessed with that, and and if you're dealing with a tremendous amount of guilt of an accident or family member passing away, is there a way to bridge that gap? Like, potentially, it was my fault, and or was it a conspiracy, or will I blame the conspiracy and then fight the man to try and bring a vengeance to, you know, my you know my family and my daughter's death. And mm-hmm. what would that look like? You know, what 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 would happen there? And um, having this unreliable narrator as a mm-hmm. main character sort of became a theme that then you know became Wander, so to speak.
2: That's fascinating because, um, yeah, because I really felt like this didn't like the the Aaron Eckhart character, who is who is freaking amazing in this oh, movie, by the yeah, way. Unreal, yeah,
1: he is unreal.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, he's
1: unbelievable. I just said. Yeah, he's unreal in the
2: performance. I just, he disappeared. Absolutely, it's interesting to hear that this definitely came from something a little more like it was a you know personal from the writer and everything because it it didn't feel like uh it definitely didn't feel gimmicky or anything like that you know it it felt very true to the character and like we just said Aaron Eckhart uh just you know just nailed it I like Aaron Eckhart I've never disliked him but I just I don't know I've never seen him just come on this the screen like this it seemed like so that was really cool
1: yeah he, he was uh, the first actor we approached to read the material and our meeting in LA was like a coming of minds like we we came together and you know after we left i was like there is no one else it has to be aaron eckhart he resonated so much with Arthur. He is a conspiracy theorist. Like he brought us a bunch of podcasts from the dark web and came at us with so oh, wow! <laughs> about, you know, government surveillances, chemtrails. And did you hear this? And what about this conspiracy? And sort of heads always isolated himself away from media and Hollywood in a lot of ways. He's this enormous talent, but he stays out of the limelight. And now I sort of have a much better understanding of who he is. And he is in a lot of ways very similar to Arthur and Tim. Like they all kind of connect. Their brains are very connected and so are their hearts. Like his honesty in wanting to fight for the truth and bring light to the world, like he is a light warrior and that's how he sees himself. And there are very few people who would have been able to bring that kind of like vulnerability, honesty. And it's just like his essence is that pure and it was so perfect for Arthur. It was like there is no one else. Like I will fight for the <laughs> can't shoot this year. We're gonna shoot a decade from now because it has to be Aaron Eckhart.
0: <laughs> like- yeah. I uh I, I was actually gonna ask you about the casting process. You you mentioned uh, uh what uh Aaron Eckhart brought to the to the uh movie. Uh you also have uh Catherine Winnick who's just so cool. I, I, mm-hmm. I love her so much. And uh and uh, Heather Graham uh, and, uh, and Tommy Lee Jones, obviously. Um, h- how did you get, uh, uh, on board with those, with those actors?
1: We'll start with Catherine. Cause you mentioned her first and, um, we were so excited to have her play the role of Elsa. I felt again, it was very different for her and, you know, she really is the big bad. She is kind of puppeteering the entire, Conspiracy that is Wander and is sort of at the core. She is the central villain of the film. You need someone with a lot of strength, intellect, and charisma, and Catherine has all of those things. And you know, on you know from the get go, she was asking questions about the film. We were you know making her character stronger and changing things with the script and always augmenting and always making it better. And I I really valued her collaboration in that way and you know like day one there she was this gorgeous you know you know she's drop dead gorgeous and yeah into us and I'm like putting a black hood on her and I was like okay so I'll have your (laughs) stunt double they're supposed to jump out of a window and then Aaron's gonna catch you know the stunt double and then we'll swap you out and you'll see your line In, in perfect world you would do it all but and she was like wait 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 so do you want me to go out the window I was like yeah, but you haven't practiced. The sunset It's you know, it's a one-time shot. It's we have two takes because the sun was setting, and it was it was a wonner And mm. she was, like, I'm in, I'm in. I'll go <laughs> up. I was just like, uh yeah, you will because you're taller. <laughs> and like a pro, she didn't even practice. She slipped out of this little air vent window high up, like eight feet in the air. In land, Aaron Eckhart flies out the window doing a somersault because he also wants to do his own stunts. And then she comes (laughs) flying out the window and he catches her and she rips off her hood, says her first lines, and then they run off into the distance. And it was like watching an electric moment. You're just like, yeah, brilliant. You know, we did it twice because that's all we had time for. And she just, she was in like the indie spirit and the indie vibe. And Aaron, too, is like such an incredible counterpart, but it was just. From that moment on, I was like, oh, yeah, she is Elsa. Perfect mm-hmm. perfect mix. You know, she is very Hollywood, but she was ready to get dirty, ready to play indie and was like, on it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who needs Who needs Tom Cruise doing real stunts when you got Catherine Winnick and, uh, and Aaron yeah. Eckhart, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then Heather Graham... Uh, I loved, I loved when she was brought to the table as an option for Shelley because originally we had, you know, a much older idea in our mind. And then, you know, Heather Graham has been cast as this gorgeous, romantic comedy, bubbly, you know, funny and fun loving, uh, drop dead gorgeous woman who usually plays the romantic interest. Mm-hmm. And To see her, and I I always try to strip all of those stereotypes and those molds because that's my job. I have to. I want Mm -hmm. to. It's like a desire I have. And to have her be, she was like the tether to reality for Arthur. She was the best friend. She was the grounded one in the film who kept all of the audience and gave the audience a voice of reason and reality. And so she had to be so strong and believable and um, you know, she was a lawyer, and she was intelligent, and she was the tether for Arthur, and so she was a best friend. And it, I think it was completely the polar opposite of anything she's ever done, and and she welcomed that challenge and loved to be able to sink her teeth into something meaty like this. And I think I think we'll see a lot more of her. You know, like that. She she really enjoyed it, and um, gave it her all, and is uh, you know very dedicated as well and is actually the sweetest person on the planet
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i get the sense that she is uh just yeah. from hearing the the few interviews that i've ever heard of her and everything um An
1: utter joy yeah
0: yeah and um, the,
1: um the legendary tommy lee jones right he came to the plate very late in the game we were already in Carazozo. We were ready. We had everybody cast, and we could not find the right Jimmy. And his management team read the script. And then Tommy read the script. And uh, we got a call. We were in Carazozo. We flew down to the Beverly Hills Hotel where we met and had lunch with Tommy Lee Jones. Incredible moment in my
0: life. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: Um, I ordered fish tacos because that's what you do.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, went through the script, went through the character. You know, he really loved that on the surface, Jimmy was this, you know, eccentric conspiracy theorist, podcast, very, you know, chill, laid back, aviators, Hawaiian shirt, very unassuming, um, trustworthy best friend. But underneath it all, he had a very serious subtext and his intentions and motivations in the film were, you know, very, very dark. And he loved that the idea of that kind of sprinkling through the eyes throughout the whole film and sort of finding the tug of war between those two personas and 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 meshing it into the big screen on, you know, for one, you know, scene. And um, that's what he loved about it. So he came in and uh, him with, you know, the opposition between Aaron Eckhart and Tommy Lee Jones, there's this incredible, every time they were on screen together, the ping pong of like electricity electricity and charisma and uniqueness to both of those human beings and actors and characters was just always mesmerizing. You know, yeah. uh, uh, You know, on my screen, I was just so blown away by the dynamic chemistry they both had together. I, I, I really just felt grateful in that moment that we had, you know, the best Arthur and Jimmy combo in the world in my mind yeah
2: yeah i feel like i would forget i'm directing like watching them <laughs> i think i would get lost in it and just be like oh yeah no i've gotta i gotta say cut or something Hold
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and- we're not gonna make our day
0: <laughs> yeah and not to mention you have the two two faces, uh, going at, it, uh, each other there too. <laughs> true.
1: true. true.
0: <laughs> I would love to know if they had conversations about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: here at lunch when they first met up in Carazozo and they did they did mention it and kind of laughed it off of one another. And there was a beautiful, like shoulder tap that Tommy did to, to Aaron and just, they both have such respect for one another as performers, performers. And I <laughs> love like Tommy Lee's hands are the size of Aaron's body. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow.
1: (laughs) You know, has such a huge presence. And I remember them kind of laughing about that for a split second. And then Tommy, in his calm demeanor, uh, sort of, you know, touching Aaron on the shoulder. And just, I I loved the image of that because I just saw the film. I saw Wander in that moment, and I thought this is going to be great.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, You know, it's it's funny. I I guess we get in our minds that it must have been, like, super hard to get Tommy Lee Jones in this movie. And it probably it probably was uh you know in in some respects but he's an artist he knows what it's like to do independent films mm-hmm. he's done he's directed them himself so uh mm-hmm. we think of him as this big huge star who's been in all these big movies and that is true but uh you know he he's also done a lot of really small films and stuff mm-hmm. so
1: yeah if the material's right and it resonates with him um he'll find his way to set, you know, that's just how it goes.
0: You you uh, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the film where you where you shot all of this, could you could you uh, uh provide some detail on that?
1: Yes, so Wander was shot in Carazozo, New Mexico, and Tim Dorn and I and James uh, Vanderwert, our producer, we headed off as indie filmmakers do to New Mexico 6 mm-hmm. months before shootings. So we're like if we don't do this now, the film will never get shot. You know, our mm-hmm was still questionable. But if you don't believe wholeheartedly in what you're doing, it's not going to happen. So there we the three musketeers in, landed in, you know, New Mexico, Canadians with no idea where to go, but we were on the hunt for Wander. And it was not easy. We, we hunted in a little tiny rent-a-car and drove all around because we wanted to, we also like Roswell and there's a a huge kind of MKUltra and there's huge conspiracies and theories that have always been surrounding new mexico in general so we knew we we had to be there somewhere and we just were like i believe wander will be there like tim never gave up and and it was it was not right like roswell was too modern it was too Mm -hmm. popular like there was too many people everywhere and we could have never got away with a conspiracy like you know the one we have in wander we can't get away with that like the foxhole and stuff would never happen in a modern city so Mm -hmm. we like we couldn't believe how big the cities were and it just wasn't right nothing was right we kept going from place to place we drove the entire state and then finally somebody had to go to the bathroom we ran into the gas station and we were like uh we should really look around like where are we and we yeah. were somewhere in between Roswell and um where were we uh we and we we looked at the sign we were Carozozo New Mexico okay let's have a look around and the town literally is like frozen in time. There's 150 Mm. people that live there. It's all Hapache. It's, it's beautiful Pueblo. And it's like all original, incredible, um, almost like the twenties and Mm. very little technology. It's not modern at all. Nothing, nothing's nothing been built up. There's no commercial anything around. There was one restaurant in town and two motels, which we ended up living at for four months,
0: with mm-hmm. a little
1: fridge, just barely making ends meet, you know, but you do what you can. It was also... Yeah inspiring to be there and we started knocking on doors <laughs> and like mm-hmm. community welcomed us with open arms we were able to shoot on their ranches their family homes their you know their small adorable community high school was the foxhole you know they really allowed us to take over the entire town and and we went in there like a you know a fireball and we were there and popular you know we were the biggest thing that ever happened for you know six weeks and then we were vanished <laughs> we vanished. Vanished into the night um, yeah. and left our beautiful wander sign there as, you know, for the community. And they they were a part of the film. They were extras in the movie. They did the catering. We really tried to include them in all aspects of a film. And, and that was such, it was such a joy to bring such a big production to well big slash small to a, you know a little town like that it was a lot of fun
0: it is unreal when you go to one of these towns right like uh, oh. i had the same sort of experience uh, like, uh, a couple years ago, bringing my mom down to her, like, uh, uh, high school reunion or 55-year-old high school reunion or whatever. And it was, like, the same town, basically, that she had to have grown up in. Like, nothing had changed and anything. You're like, oh, I can't believe there's places like that still out here and everything. Uh, and, and you know, you, you must have, like, had, you had to just been like just over the moon that you found a place like this oh
1: we locked it like we after that we never slept because we were like okay we have a film like we can do this we found wander and it (laughs) transformed into wander we're like oh yeah this is it's a cinematic dream you like mm-hmm. you're on the hunt for something like that for the rest of your life <laughs> it's the best
2: yeah because the town the town becomes uh, uh you know a character in the movie very cool. uh essentially which is very cool
1: very much so it was a huge character in the film
2: it's also i just want to note it's interesting you mentioned roswell because i was definitely thinking about roswell watching this the conspiracy theories but also you had brendan fair yeah um and and i watched i watched roswell i kept wanting him to like Pour hot sauce on a Snickers or something, which like the, the three Roswell viewers will listening to this. will laugh at that. But um, I just thought that was, I thought that was really cool. I hadn't seen him in a while, so it was really fun to see him. I hired him
1: a bunch. I I got to do a series with him, um, real Uh detective in Montreal and we just hit it off. Like our communication, he's just such a grounded, incredible performer and is really living Mm -hmm. as a, as a human being and a, a performer. And I, and then I hired him on Winona Earp, and then and then Wander. It's just fun. He's just such a great guy and chameleon as an actor, and I love working with him.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot he was on Winona Earp. I've I've seen quite a few episodes of that. That's a really fun well, series. He has
1: charged for that one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: was there was there any sort of uh, thought? Was there a big thought process into this conspiracy theory that's going through? the movie like did you get to a point where it's like oh that's too crazy or let's make it crazier than than we can possibly imagine or was there sort of a toning down or was there like let's make it as crazy as possible
1: uh i wish there was a toning down and (laughs) everything was based on reality
0: so, mm-hmm.
1: enough. Tim and I went into a very dark hole, as we do, as you know, as we're doing our research. And um, unfortunately, the more we read about MK Ultra and the realities behind human testing and all of the projects, like there's a top twelve kind of, not to be too dark, but horrific kind of human testing that has happened uh, through you know government surveillances and government violences over the last hundred years. And mm-hmm. so all of our theories were sort of based very much so in reality and we just went there we were like well this happened and you know the first time we go into the foxhole and we actually see the people whose chips are sort of malfunctioning in that space it's it's like a very horrific image if you really think about it yeah. some say like that's laughable that's absurd there's no way that's happening that's ridiculous but It's very it's very much even the visuals are very much um visuals I kind of through research from the seventies that that we pulled from and we Oh goodness. I know. Sorry, it's awful. It is awful. It is Mm -hmm. really awful. And that's why we put that card at the beginning of the film too, because we just were like, we have to tell people that this is based in truth. Um, unfortunately, obviously there's a cinematic flair to it, but it really is based in um, truth and 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 I don't think conspiracy at all. I just think that these things are proven now that they've happened and mm. um, to ignore that is just ignorance because it it has happened. Um, but the even when we shot at um, you know when Catherine um, brings Arthur to sort of divulge all of the information and there's that beautiful kind of laser light production all over their bodies. Yeah. They sort of go through the plan. So that hospital, believe it or not, when we, sh- when we found that hospital, it, it was, um, a hospital where they were doing, um, electric shock therapy, sort of experiments on indigenous people hmm. in the eighties and, um, sort of trying to deal with mental health issues that, they thought would help people back then. And they were doing a lot of experiments with shock, you know, um, shock, shocking patients. And Mm. um, the weight of that location, uh, we, we were like trying to decide whether we wanted to shoot there or whether we just couldn't, because there was such a weighted energy to that space. And we thought, well, this really is what the film is about. Like this defines sort of all the things that we're kind of, kind of gently touching on, Um, And we were like, well, this is the reality. And we found it for a reason. And, and maybe this needs to be healed. And we need to be here. And that's just how it's going to be. So and you know, these voices can finally come to life and, and they're not silenced. And it's a part of the healing journey with the film. So we shot there. And um, yeah, so I guess the long answer is, it is based in truth.
0: Mhm. Yeah, that's uh that's uh horrifying to say the least, especially the images that you do show uh in in this uh mm-hmm. even though there you know it's nothing like terribly graphic or anything like that, but no, it's No. Uh,
1: it is just
0: But it is horrifying to to see it, it you know a couple of these scenes by the way. Uh, it, I thought this was an interesting uh, way that you ordered this film, uh, in, in a couple of places, uh, you have an unreliable narrator, Mm -hmm. um, in this, in this movie. And there are are moments where you will see him go into a place and then we see the like very end of it immediately. We Mm -hmm. don't know what happened. Uh, and then he then relates, to someone, what happened and everything. Was that sort of your way of, of, of making his uh, narrative sort of doubtful or was that just a creative choice? How, what was your thought process on that?
1: It, it was a bit of both, you know, um, from the beginning, his, his perspective is always unreliable, even from the start when we see his daughter in the trailer and we hear his wife's voice, you know, he's kind of haunted by images of of his loved ones and whether that's delusional or whether that's the medication he's on, he believes Mm -hmm. it. And so as the audience sort of is their intro to him is, is sort of one of, you know, disbelief. Like, is that an image or is that really what he's seeing? Or are we just seeing that? I think just kind of allowing that narrative to take place of like, um, and then as the film continues on and once we enter Wander and then once we get into the conspiracy and, and seeing what he sees and like the sheer nightmare that he's always believed in, but then it becomes reality, um, that's almost too much for him to take. So it's almost like he shuts his brain off. And then in the retelling is when we actually get to see it. So mm-hmm. for me, it was kind of like Arthur's through line of what he's able to like decipher and go through as he's going through it. And sometimes he just can't. So it's just like a moment that's too, too much for him that it's just like your brain shuts off and you go on autopilot and it's the end. He doesn't even know what happened in the middle because he was so mortified at, you know, you know, when you go through something traumatic or a car accident, you remember the moment before and then you remember afterwards. And it's only retelling that you kind of are able to remember like the step-by-step, uh, memories and it's kind of spotty. Like it's not necessarily clear either. It's like fragments and fractions of, of a nightmare where, you know, all of a sudden not to, you know, but Jimmy's on the floor and there's guns and there's people being shot at. And it's just like all broken pieces of his memory. So ideally it would feel like it's his recollection and his memories and, and how his brain can sort of cope with what he's seeing. Um, Mm -hmm. that was like the intention. And um, so it was, I guess it was creative and also narrative, both based in, uh, you know, that's why we did it that way.
0: Yeah, it's particularly effective because there were moments where I was sitting there going, what the hell is he saying? He said he's, <laughs> it like he just went into this place. Now the next scene, he's like, Jimmy's dead. And you're like, uh, what? what? i was like is he just making that up so that heather graham will come out to 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 see him and all that and i'm just like oh my god and then yeah he tells the story and then you're like okay this could be a part of you know we don't know if it's real or not and everything And i I felt that was pretty effective on your part to to make
1: it it's a fine line like sometimes you you don't want to be heavy-handed and you don't want to give away too much and you don't want to treat the audience like you know they don't know what you know, what's going on, because it's such a fine line. I I always kind of struggle with that in giving too much but not giving enough. And you never want to alienate the audience either to a point where then they don't care about the lead character, because at the end of the day, that's all that really matters is that they're along the journey with our lead and have compassion and, you know, you want to be invested in the story as an audience member. So um, it's like you have to tread very lightly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Well that, yeah. Kind of going off what Chris said, I think you in with the structure and so I think, you know, and also in just the way Eckhart, his performance, you know, by the end of the movie, which obviously we don't want to give away the ending, but you know, you, you answer questions obviously, but at the same time, because we've been in this character's head for, you know, an hour and a half, we're questioning it. At least I was, mm-hmm you know, viewing it, I'm questioning, but wait, but is he just seeing that? Like, if I just, you know, like, is that real? And, you know, you start, you know, it kind of, it kind of ends up being a little more open-ended, you know, in that, in that sense, I guess, which was really cool. I, I love that about That's it.
1: That's great. I mean, yes. The last image of the film with Aaron there on the floor, not to give a lot away either, but in that moment, it's like, you can go either way. Like it could all
0: mm-hmm. sort of
1: in his own, in his own mind, but it could also be reality. And I just love that, Aaron, on his own, just sort of sat in that moment and then just broke out into laughter. And I, mm. I felt like it was like the most, it was such a huge relief of like freedom in that moment for our lead character. Like Tim and I just both started crying at the monitors. It was for the first time, you know, the whole film. We're just like bawling because it, it just stands for so much of someone who's been silenced for so long and nobody believes them for so long. And they're, you know, fighting an uphill battle and they're finally got the light and they finally have the answer. And he just laughs. And it's such a pure uh, mm-hmm. moment that I, I I love that moment in the film.
2: Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, not only does no one listen to him, but people take advantage of him. And I mean, just all kinds of things, you know, it's just it's 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 heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that moment does kind of relieve, I think, even for the for the audiences gets a little relief. Yes.
1: You know. <laughs> <laughs> I went against Johan Johansson's song, which I love. Um, yeah. Much. Oh.
0: You guys are bringing oh, up the music all sorts in this of stuff. movie was great. She's bringing up all sorts yeah. of stuff. Like I want to talk about. Like yeah, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as uh, we brought up Aaron Eckhart, I was going to bring up this scene about him uh laughing on the floor and everything. It's one of the moments in there where I can see not only the character, but I can also see the actor having a breakthrough at the same time. And it sort yeah. of lets you in, in a way that is like tremendous and satisfying. I can't even put.
1: Yeah, uh, Agreed.
0: Yeah. Uh, it must've been a thing. Like after you said cut where you guys were all just like, your energy was completely just zapped out of you. And you were just like, you know, yeah. Oh my God, what the, what, what, what else can we shoot today? Love you know,
1: it. like that right. was, We only did it once. We shot one take. And then we were just like, well, that's the end of the film. It's brilliant. Like you, you don't want to touch that. You know, I would need to think, Oh, let's get other angles on that. No, it's like (laughs) that's the moment. That is the moment. Don't touch it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you were, you mentioned that this is just a small thing for me. I'm I'm I, I get weirdly connected to a lot of movies when I watch other movies, but the Johan Johansson song at the end there, uh, uh, is the song that's uh, played prominently in that Battle Los Angeles trailer, and uh, Aaron Eckhart is in that movie. And so <laughs> I was, I was, I, when that song came on, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, holy crap!" Flashback.
1: <laughs> I have, <to> have <laughs> like, check out that trailer.
0: Yeah, yeah, watch that trailer. It'll make you definitely want to watch Battle Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know how you'll feel about the movie, but. Uh, <laughs> Chris is like, is this an Aaron Eckhart's contract that you have to have the song yeah. in his movie? <laughs> it, it was it was so fun. It was it's so fun when stuff like that happens because you're just you know, and, and 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 you know, and then there's another small one too. Was I was thinking of the movie The Pledge during this as well because of the way um, I don't know if you've ever seen The Pledge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but uh, but Jack Nicholson uh, is kind of in some ways like Aaron Eckhart is no. in this. In, they and have- Aaron Eckhart's in the pledge. So, you know.
1: <laughs> They have <laughs> similar, I don't want, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like this unpredictability to their eyes and mm-hmm. their performance and their physical mm-hmm. body. It's almost like you never really know what might happen next. And I feel like Jack Nicholson and Aaron both have that charisma that draws you in, but you're almost tempted to jump back because you don't know what they're capable of on screen. And I love that. Like it's Mm -hmm. terrifying and entertaining and mesmerizing all at once. And I feel like they, you know, especially in this film, for some reason, Aaron did have that vibe a lot more than he ever has. And it's probably because of Arthur is sort of so unpredictable and, and uh, electrifying in that way. Uh, And it definitely resembled some performances like, not like the shining, but there's this Nicholson splash that sort of came to my mind too. Sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are just a couple of things. I was just like, Oh yeah, you know what? They probably weren't even thinking about that, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway. you will see, see if they find that amusing or not. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like, there's a lot of like nice little stylistic touches in this movie. And I, and, and uh, the especially during there's an interrogation scene, and I really like I really liked how that I don't know you had to have done this on purpose, and I and I don't mean this to be like a a, a stupid question, but uh like y- there's a moment in the e- interrogation scene where everybody everybody uh, except Aaron Eckhart has that sort of that double vision look yeah. to them, uh and, and and he doesn't, and it it really sort of gets you into that that mindset that whatever he's looking at, has got the skewed vi- uh, vision. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to him, everybody's seeing him like straight on or whatever. Straight it's not normal you
1: know. reality. Yeah. You know what? I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews and nobody's mentioned that. And that's a fun oh, really? thing, and I almost forgot that that was there. Like it's such a huge choice. Um, yeah, or not? You know how we shot that was practically in camera. We took lenses from an optometrist and mm-hmm. held the optometrist lens in front of the camera lens, and oh, so that's we cool. flipped it and spun it and moved it to the left and right, and it created that kind of double image. And it's pieced in really unique ways because we use different lenses. Um, and I only did one take like that on each of the actors because I was like, I don't know if this is too, you know, out there. Like I, I like to really let performances live and as a director don't want to be too like heavy handed. But I was like, I'm going to do one take with each of the actors like this because in, in my perfect world, I did want to you know, Aaron's perspective on Shelley and, you know, um, Brandon's character to really feel like he's not all there. Like he, he, it's all, his world is crumbling and it, and it doesn't look like reality anymore. And the medication is wearing off and he hasn't taken the medication and what, you know, what does that feel like? And, and kind of all of his paranoia coming to truth and then, you know, the murder and this and that on everything sort of piling on him when per- a person's going through a panic attack, that double vision actually happens along with that like loud ringing sound in your head. So um, I, I really hoped it was going to work, and I wanted to do it, but I was also like, ooh, I don't think I should do every take like this just in case I get a big <laughs> one from somebody you know, at the, the sales company. Is like, what was this? You know, like I was like, oh, I might get in a lot of trouble for this. Uh, this guy is normal, and also do it the way I really want to do it, and just like hope for the best. So I'm. Really Really happy it ended up being in the film, um, and that's how it was originally. Uh, that was my original intention there. So I'm so happy that it's in there, and I think it's so cool that it's practical and it's not VFX. And, yeah. Yeah.
0: I was—I was actually going to ask that. Was the follow-up? Was you know? Was you know? Did you do that in post or whatever? But I like the fact that it's practical. I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure you could in post you could make it look somewhat like that anyway. Okay. But yeah, I like the I like the idea that you that you he came up with a, an actual technique on set to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really cool. holding
1: a little set of long tweezers, and I was flipping the little lens right as I was watching the monitor. Um, mm. or operator, I was right over his shoulder, breathing on him, and like flipping this little lens as you know giving notes but it was great i loved it
2: they're, they're gonna call that a mullen in the yeah. future yeah. that's what they're gonna call that
0: <laughs> that's right that's right uh what what, uh, what uh, this is definitely not your first film this is what your seventh
1: something like that I think so i think it's getting yeah. up seven or eight i'm not sure i should count
0: i mean you don't have to
1: no i just said oh it ages me a little so maybe i shouldn't count it
0: (laughs) oh yeah yeah but this is your first film let's let's forget about it uh Uh, but no uh the uh the it's uh it i have not seen your other movies i'm sorry but uh but uh looking at the other ones that you've made this looks like this was a completely different experience from the others that you've made but what did you take from the er earlier movies into this one
1: I think they are all so vastly different. Like below her mouth is a love affair between two incredible humans, um, and sort of a female perspective on uh sex, sexuality, the female orgasm. And then there's like mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yep. About a fugue state and fraction memories and and going into a fugue state and what that means. Like uh Dead Before Dawn is like a zombie rom comedy, uh horror film. Like I definitely dapple in many different genres and it's because i just really love creating and setting a new challenge and diving so deep into a world you almost forget who you are and what you're doing um and I, that's what i love so much about what we do is we immerse ourselves in this creative world of existence and in this imaginary world for however my, you know however long that might be like i was listening to johan johansson for like way too long for like five years shot listing this thing, never knowing if it was actually going to come to life. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just it. When you love what you do, you just go wholeheartedly. And like obviously the what did I bring from past films to the present film my experience for sure um, I'm lucky because we came from the ground up and had nothing when we started making feature films you know there was seven of us on set and I did every single job possible and every department for mm-hmm. at least a decade because you know we wanted to make movies so we had to learn to produce it was almost forced upon us but that's, a, that's an amazing um, you know vice it's like jumping off a diving board into the abyss, and you—you you have to swim to survive. And uh, that being a being on the indie front from the beginning of my career, like never having anything handed to me, never having enough money for anything I ever wanted to do. Still to this day, mm-hmm. <laughs> in film, TV, yes, but in film, it's always sort of forced me to be innovative. And that is, a, it, it is a blessing and a curse. But at the end of the day, I see it as a gift because. Like we took these optometrist lens and flipped them in front of the camera because we couldn't spend whatever it was on VFX. We're coming up with the foxhole with plexiglass because I love the reflections, but it's just simple. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's stripped down to creativity, innovation, and what you're going to do with, you know, the stories you want to tell. And, and to be able to create your own work and always to push yourself to be better, learn more you know um take bigger swings bigger Mm risks is something that kind of as as my voice develops and as i grow as a human being i'm i'm trying to stretch those skills uh from the beginning that i had and and bring them into bigger budget productions and and still be just as innovative you know um, in mm-hmm. terms of like the opening shot of the film, you know, there's, it's a steady cam shot and we're on the back of a pickup truck. We're on the road. It's a one shot wonder. And we just wanted to keep it like that. And then there's a walk off, walk on crane that was built for the film. You know, our DP actually built it. It's like illegal and doesn't exist in North America. And, you know, I'm proud of those moments. I I think the indie vibe and the indie spirit in my very beginnings, like the run and gun, filthy, dirty, like we're in the trenches. Let's go. (laughs) It It, it doesn't leave me. And there's not a second where I let up on set. It's like, I'm always just on fire because you need to be because you got to get line. And without that, I just don't think I'd be the same. So the all of my smaller, you know, independent films and all the smaller projects I've done just create more fuel for the fire to try and be just as innovative and and the more hopefully the bigger budget and bigger, you know, sandboxes I get to play in, I still go to my truth and I try to reinvent the wheel and bring innovative new ideas to the audience and new shots and new visual, you know, new visuals to the audience. Uh, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but it, it could just be in a small, even a small twinkle of an eye or like the laughing at the end of the film, whatever it might be. I, I aim to always do that. And, and I'm hoping to always be able to deliver that.
2: Yeah. I wanted to say, I did see, uh, I saw 88, uh, when it came out. So was that like five years ago, yeah. maybe. And, um, I did want to say one, uh, constant between at least that film and this one that I noticed is you're working with like the coolest Catharines <laughs> uh, in the industry. Cause you had Catherine Isabel who I love in that. And then a uh, Catherine Winnick in this. So I'm just hoping this keeps continuing. Maybe we get like a movie with Catherine Hahn or <laughs> Catherine, Catherine Newton, maybe, you know, moving, moving forward. But I did enjoy 88. I do remember really enjoying that. And uh, Catherine Isabel looks like a lot of fun to work with. who so.
1: was. was, she, she's so raw. And, and unhinged in the best way and, yeah. and really a, a strong performer.
2: Yeah. I, saw, I mean, cause I saw ginger snaps, you know, and like what, 20 years ago now, which is crazy to think. Um, and I just like right after that, I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to watch her and whatever she chooses to do after that. the rest
1: this. of my life, I have a crush on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: you mentioned that, uh, the, the shot, the crane shot, uh, was a difficult, uh, uh, Thing to shoot and everything but were there any other uh, uh particular challenges that you can uh you can tell the story of uh here uh, uh like maybe your hardest day that you had on set
1: well our first day believe it or not Aaron came to Carrizozo with this phenomenal beard and, um, <laughs> we originally had that in the movie and he got to trim his beard on camera and it was wicked. And then, um, we had a whole bunch of other scenes planned for that day. And, you know, your first day, you're so full of idealism and you're like ready and you're positive, And we're trying to really set the tone for the rest of the shoot and mm-hmm. a huge monsoon, like desert storm came through. And oh wow. the one shot that we were, the opening of the film was supposed to be the, the afternoon. Like we had three hours for that for sunset. And our whole week was planned or long around that because we needed that time of day for that shot. And we had rehearsed it on the weekend. And so we were so ready and prepared for it. And this like enormous storm came through and we weren't able to shoot the rest of our very first day. So hmm. for producers and people on the outskirts of like, never maybe necessarily making an indie film this size, they were just like mortified at the fact that we came with only half of our day of footage and there was nothing else we could do that day because only Aaron had arrived so because our cast was arriving like later on the week so there was nothing else we could do and and Aaron wasn't prepared for any of the other stuff and the other locations weren't even built yet so it was just sort of like I've never in my life had something where there's three hours of the day where we weren't able to shoot anything else I think we did some landscape stuff but it was also too dangerous for the crew to be out there because we could there was so mm-hmm. the lightning was so bad. We weren't able to even have the camera, you know, crew out, out there outside. Um, and our interior shots were 45 minutes away, so we would never make it anywhere else on time. Oh but wow! It was a weird thing, you know, for your first day to have that kind of like a big hiccup like that, that might be in my career. Even I'm including TV and film. That mm-hmm. might be the biggest kind of. Um, pull the plug I've ever, ever, have ever come across because I always find a million other things to shoot because there always are so much more that you can do. And and you're always trying to make your day and make the most of your hours. Your hours are so precious. Like they're everything to you. yeah Um, And it was the first time that because of the storm, we couldn't do any exteriors because none of the actors were there. We couldn't do any other scenes. And because of the locations weren't built because it was the first day of set, we just weren't, There was nothing else. And I just couldn't believe um, that we shut production down, you know, three hours early. Like that's never happened in my career. And I just sort of was like, what a first day. (laughs) (laughs) And then trying to like make sure everybody feels that they're in good hands and, you know, have the production in the, you know every all the producers that are there believing in you and you know these independent financers and private investors trying to explain to them like guys it's gonna you know it's all gonna be fine we're gonna make it and i it's gonna be you know we're, it's just a very odd situation
0: <laughs>
1: like, Yeah, but um that, that had never happened to me before
0: how do you end up Uh, uh, accounting for those three hours though you end up having to shoot the thing that you want to shoot but then later you have to maybe shave off time for other things
1: definitely there was sacrifices because of that and we also um in the middle of the shoot broke the russian arm which um was Mm. devastating um it just got into a small accident with a cactus (laughs) so (laughs) Uh, the Russian (laughs) arm was then suddenly just gone. And in the middle of Carrizozo, there were no other Russian arms and they were way too expensive to rent. And I had to like reconfigure my shot list and we, we hadn't even started most of my Russian arm work. So it was kind of just reinventing the wheel and coming up with new ways around it. Um, which in the film I think worked out, but you know, nobody knows what you didn't get either. But, you know, there was two really that I mean, those are two huge things that you don't really expect in a film,
0: but Mm
1: -hmm. they happened.
0: happened. (laughs) Um, What else do you have in the pipeline? What's uh, what's coming up next that you can talk about?
1: Tim and I are constantly developing. So we have a sci fi thriller called Hello, Stranger, which we are currently trying to cast in the middle of COVID.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't even imagine. Do you have to zoom auditions?
1: It's, it's odd. And everybody doesn't know like where the world will be come the spring Mm -hmm. or the fall. So we're just trying to put together the pieces and also write on another series, uh, original series that we have called jump, which we love. And I have, um, in the TV world, uh, Netflix, tiny, pretty things is coming out December 14th. And then I have
0: Oh, treasure,
1: uh, which is coming out in the new year. I shot all of those last year. So I'm excited to see those episodes. Wow.
0: Goodness gracious. How in the world do you do that? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you don't even have time to talk to us. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm,
1: um, sorry. I'm jotting down notes for the next script as we speak. Just kidding. I'm sure
0: you know, <laughs> I, and I wouldn't take offense if you were. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I always find it amazing when you have people out there who are like, well, I've already done this and this, and then I have this going on now, and then I have two more things after that, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you God bless you. Salute you. <laughs>
2: uh yeah tiny tiny pretty things caught my eye though my daughter is about to get into the world of competitive dancing so uh i i noticed that was
0: coming out and mm-hmm. that looked very interesting
1: mm-hmm. it's, it's edgy yeah that's good
0: and you can you say anything about uh hello stranger like what it's about
1: Ooh, i'm not sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> well if you're not sure then then i don't want to get you in trouble over that I so. sure,
1: except i love the ending it's equally as surprising as wander
2: okay great well, I'll have to and it's starring and it's starring Catherine Hahn,
0: right? That's <laughs> yeah, what.
1: <love> <laughs> some Catherine that we, we will hunt down and
0: find. <laughs> exactly, uh, Jonathan. If you have anything else, no, no, I just
2: just love the movie. It was um, I'm I'm a real big fan of conspiracy thrillers of like the 70s, but I'm also a big film noir guy, and I don't know that I've ever really seen the two combined like you did here. Was I mean, are you are you a fan of noir? Was there definitely was that intentional? Yeah. The the kind of noirish elements. Yes,
1: it is. It, it was a huge um, influence on both Tim Dorn and I. I you know, okay. he's a huge fan as well. And we were like, I wonder if treading this line is still going to be current enough to make sense. And we we're mm-hmm. like, well, some you know some film buffs out there are totally going to feel the no oh, yeah nod to the film noir. And we we're just like i I'm so happy that you did. I can't believe
2: it. yeah <laughs> i mean i'll t- I'll tell you like i I don't know that I've enjoyed like a neo noir experience like this as much since like maybe like John Dahl like mm-hmm. in the you know like Red Rock West and uh, last seduction like that that it was on that <laughs> level for me. Mm-hmm. Naked. so
1: oh, that really pumps me up. I can't wait to tell. T- <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome um, Alright, we'd like to thank uh, A- April Mullen For giving uh, giving us her time The movie is Wander It comes out December 4th On, to di- on demand and digital uh, Any theaters at all?
1: Yes, it is in select theaters across the US I think there's about 12 that are actually open And COVID safe
0: Okay, great uh, But we'd like to thank uh, April for giving us her time And uh, that's going to do it for this interview It's Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins We'll see you next time <laughs> Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com.